0: Well, good morning, Better Life Church. Hope you guys are doing amazing. If you don't know who I am, my name is Trevor. I'm the creative pastor here at Better Life Church, and we are kicking off a brand new series called Summer Stories. We wanted to do something special uh, throughout the month of July. Uh, maybe if you're if you're kind of familiar with our area here around Moorhead, we have something called the uh, Cave Run Storytelling Festival that I know I go to every year and it's so much fun. So we are right here at Cave Run. We're kind of hanging out at the amphitheater area and uh, we're going to be filming all of the sermons for this series right here on the amphitheater. We're going to have our own little storytelling festival as we walk through some of the stories that Jesus himself Told, and maybe if you've grown up in church before, you've heard of the word parable, right? Uh, you maybe heard this phrase that a parable is a, a earthly story with a, with a heavenly meaning. That's what I was always uh, told to to describe those. Kind of growing up throughout church. So we're going to walk through some of those parables. Um, we're going to have some various speakers throughout the series. I'm just so excited to be a part of it. Um, but I want to go ahead and jump in today, and we have an amazing parable to discuss. So the definition of parable, if you just highlighted it right on your iPhone and you looked it up in the Apple dictionary there, says that a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, right? It kind of fits with that earthly story, heavenly meanings things that so many of us have been told and heard as we've grown up throughout church. But the reality is is that interpreting the parables just simply as kind of a short uh, moralistic lesson uh, really isn't the entirety of what the parables were all about. And that's not really the entirety of what Jesus was trying to do when he told these stories all so often. In fact, you know, telling parables was one of Jesus' favorite ways to actually teach people, especially early on in his ministry. They're not exclusive to Jesus. You know, many other people have used parables. They use these kind of short stories uh, to teach different principles or moral lessons or just various teachings uh, throughout time, even before Jesus and after his time as well. But he would often use these as these like kind of subversive tools to maybe Correct a little bit of the unspoken assumptions that were maybe floating around in the time period he lived in. If you read a little bit about Jesus' life, you'll constantly see him uh, butting heads with a group of people called the Pharisees so often, and a lot of these teachings would kind of butt against maybe some of the teachings that the uh, the Jewish people and the Israelite people would have maybe heard their entire life growing up. And what's really kind of kind of neat about the parables in that way, Jesus would often use them is early on in his ministry, he really didn't want to just announce everything about who he was and what he was doing because it just would have you know, caused riots. Everything would have been crazy. And so he would use these parables as a way to kind of like fish for people, right? He would, he would chuck it out there, see if he could get you hooked by this, this little short story he would tell and see if he could kind of reel you in so you would dig a little bit deeper. So you would draw a little bit closer to really try to figure out what the meaning of the parable was. It's fascinating. Sometimes Jesus actually tells us the meaning of the parable, uh, specifically maybe when his disciples ask him, he explains it. And then there's other parables that we actually don't fully have an explanation of the meaning exactly. And so it's up to us to uh, study the Bible and it's up uh, to the Holy Spirit to reveal to us um, what that parable truly means. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, we read this in this little section. It says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. And I think that that same prophecy is still true for me and you and all of us today, right? Uh, The parables, they can speak to us and explain things that have been hidden to us since the very creation of the world. There's a great great quote by a guy named N.T. Wright, who's a, a pastor and an author and an amazing theologian. He says, whatever the parables are, they are not, as children are sometimes taught in Sunday school, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Rather, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as in heaven, right? Shocking announcements of God's kingdom arriving on earth as it is in heaven. So much of the parables is really about this thing we call the kingdom of God or the kingdom of of heaven, And you're gonna learn much more about that through the next few weeks as we unpack this. But a great thing for us to look at and to ask is how should we read the parables, right? When I hear these stories over these next few weeks, how should I look at these? How should I apply them to my life? And really, instead of reading the parable asking, how is this parable about me and my relationship to God? We should reverse it and ask, how is this about Jesus and his inauguration of God's kingdom, right? How are these parables? How are these stories about God's kingdom coming to earth to change everything about life and the way we know it. I just want to go ahead and take a few minutes and let's pray together and ask God to just open up our hearts and minds to truly uh, discover all the hidden amazing gems inside the parable we're going to read together today. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that the fact that you still use these amazing stories to speak to us right here and right now, and no matter if we're, we're watching this on our phone or our computer or, or we're driving in our car, listen to this on, on, on the podcast, we ask that you will speak to us and reveal the hidden truths that you've placed inside these amazing stories for each and every one of us. God, we thank you so much for, for your word and, and the amazing uh, literary work that we have to learn and discover more of who you are. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and we all say, no matter where we're at, amen. I hope you amen on your couch or in your car or wherever you may be. Our parable today is the parable of the hidden treasure. And it comes from Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 44 and 46. There's kind of two parables here. I'm really gonna focus on, on the first one, but I wanna read this story for you guys. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. All right, so here's our parable for this morning. And remember, we're trying to figure out what does this parable mean about the kingdom of heaven? What does this parable mean about the kingdom of God? I want to give you guys a little bit of background first on specifically some of the historical background of this story and how it might apply to us today. Because if you're like me and you hear this idea of like hidden treasure buried in your field, I'm instantly thinking pirates, right? Like that's where my mind goes, like buried hidden treasure, like off the coast somewhere of a sunken ship and how that works. But the reality is, is in this time period, banking looked a lot different. And in almost all the parables, Jesus would actually address situations that were super familiar to his audience, right? And it might have to do with the farming of their day or or how agriculture worked at that time. Or for this specific story, it has to do with how banking worked in that time period. See, they had um, not necessarily banks the way we would think of a bank today. They were more so like uh, money lenders and money changers. And people would often actually bury their wealth they've acquired or they would bury their treasure actually in a hole in a field to cover it up, right? To keep it safe so no one could find it. And the money lenders, they, they would sometimes give loans with interest and stuff like that. But really, they were exchanging currency more. Definitely not the way we think of banks of, of today. And so the the money changers probably weren't really the best guys from all we can tell. they were probably trying to, you know, obviously skim some off the top there. But because of that, people would go and bury these treasures. And so we find this guy, he, he's walking through this field. He discovers this hidden treasure that's worth this enormous amount of wealth, right? So he, he digs it up in his excitement. He's freaking out. He's losing his mind. He goes, he buries it again. He goes back, literally sells everything he has, right? This is crazy. He sells everything he has to buy the field to, so he can have that buried treasure because he wanted it so bad. Right. The second little half of that is the, the merchant who's on the lookout for choice, choice pearls. And when he discovers the great pearl, he goes, sells everything he can to go get the pearl as well. And the, the first thing that really sticks out to me about this parable and these two stories is the fact that the kingdom of heaven produces joy. Right? The kingdom of heaven produces joy. I love in the text there, my favorite part of this whole parable is the phrase, in his excitement. I don't know who you're with right now. Maybe you're by yourself. Every slick person sitting next to you say, in my excitement. Go ahead. Put it in the chat. You can put it in the chat right now if you need to, right? I think our relationship with Jesus needs to begin within my excitement, right? Following Jesus, it, it really genuinely needs to begin there within my excitement because we've found this amazing thing. So does your spirituality begin with in my excitement, right? When, when you think about following Jesus, when you think about reading your Bible, when you think about all the things that come along with being a follower of Jesus, does that begin with in my excitement or does that begin with because I have to? Right? Maybe, maybe that's where you're at right now in your relationship with, with Jesus. It just feels like, with, it feels like rules and regulations. It doesn't really feel that much like joy, but what scripture teaches us is actually it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, chap, uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? I love this. Our, our student pastor, Pastor Jacob, says this line all the time. He said, God is not a killjoy. He's out to kill things that kill your joy, right? See, Jesus and joy should be like synonyms. They should always go together. It's like peanut butter and jelly, right? You shouldn't be able to separate joy from Jesus, And so often we're trying to share Jesus to the world or we're trying to follow Jesus without the joy that he has that's supposed to come from him. If you look at even the beginning of the whole story of Jesus, right? Just in his birth alone, it's this amazing proclamation of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus and how he's supposed to bring joy to all people. Luke chapter two, verses nine and 11 say, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Good news and great joy. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. See, Jesus and joy are a package deal. And if you begin to study a little bit of the way we translate uh, the the word gospel and where this comes from, it actually literally means good news, right? That's literally the meaning of, of gospel, And a lot of the words that we pull from that, like gospel or preach or evangelism, even the root word for evangelism is this idea of good news. And somehow along the way, it seems like we've lost good news with following Jesus, right? We've separated Jesus from the joy, but it's in our excitement that we actually go after everything this life of faith has for us. It's in our excitement that we follow Jesus. It's in our excitement that we tithe. It's in our excitement that we get in a group. It's in our excitement that we read our Bible. It's in our excitement that we pray. It's in our excitement that we worship. It's not because we have to, it's because we get to, because we have found this amazing thing that is worth so much more than we could ever imagine. See, there's too many Christians in our world today that we're out there trying to sell Jesus, but with absolutely no joy in our lives. And for me, I generally think one of the biggest roadblocks for the Christian church today is not necessarily the sin in our life, but the lack of joy. Because I I see so many people that they're actually okay that we always don't have it all together, right? Maybe you have a friend like that, that they're not a Christian and they don't really follow Jesus. But when you're able to have those real honest conversations and those moments that they see that, hey, you know, you don't have it all together too, but you're working on it and you're trying to get better and you're trying to follow Jesus. And there's times that you fail, there's times that you miss it. But if you're honest with that and you ask for forgiveness from them and you ask for forgiveness from Jesus, it's amazing how much they will respect that. But it seems really hard to want to go to church with people that just don't have joy, right? Maybe you found, found somebody like that. Maybe you've seen an old picture of Jesus where he just looks like super mad and angry and he's just, very stern, right? Like some old presidential like photo. Like that wasn't Jesus. Like kids loved Jesus. Like children flocked to him. Like people that that weren't religious flocked to Jesus. Like it's amazing when you begin to see and you study his life, how many people just always wanted to be around him. And I think a lot of that has to do because of the fact that he was so joyful and that his birth was good news for all people no matter where you come from no matter what you look like no matter what your race is no matter what your your uh, economic class is no matter like how cool you think you are how young you are how old you are none of that matters the reality is that Jesus is here to bring joy to all people and that should give us such excitement see the kingdom of heaven is not bad news friends it's good news it's this incredible unimaginable good news that really seems too good to be true And for so many of us, if you're like me, it's really hard to believe in things that are just uh, kind of too good to be true type of things. But the reality about the gospel is that it is true. It seems too good to be true, but it really is true. And that is good news and out of that joy and out of that excitement is where we should live. The second thing that really uh, sticks out about this parable is the fact that the kingdom of heaven has incomparable value. Incomparable value, right? We see the man who, who he finds it in his excitement. He's just overwhelmed with joy. So he, he actually runs back to go sell. He runs back to go sell everything, to get rid of everything so he can actually purchase the treasure in the field. Now, I want to go ahead and, and clarify this real fast. This, this does not mean or indicate whatsoever that we somehow buy our salvation, right? That's really not what this parable is trying to tell us at all. And one quick little study tip. All you have to do, if you find a a passage of scripture, you find a moment where you're kind of unsure what does this mean? Does this mean this? Does this mean that? All you have to do is check that with the rest of the Bible, right? And you'll, you'll immediately find things that maybe that doesn't bind up. So it couldn't mean that, or it could mean this, or it can't mean that. So when you run that against the rest of this gospel story and the rest of the Bible, we automatically know, right? we cannot earn our salvation. We can't give enough stuff away to uh, have Jesus love us. We can't sacrifice enough things to earn our salvation. So it's clearly not about us sacrificing all these things so we can be a Christian. It's clearly not us giving all these things away, selling our possessions so we can earn salvation or buy his grace or buy his love. It doesn't work that way, right? Because it's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's his grace and his love that he freely gives us. It's literally a free gift, right? So there's something else about this. It's about the incomparable value. It's the value of the treasure was worth so much more than the value of the things the man had in his life all the stuff he had built up in his life from there, right? Like all the stuff we have in our garages and our closets and under our beds, we don't want no one to see. All this random stuff we accumulate and and we hold on to, and we think is worth so much. When you compare it to something like Jesus, it just doesn't seem to match up. When you find something of so much value, it produces joy and in your excitement, you'll wanna get rid of the other stuff so you can take the thing that's real, the thing that's eternal, the thing that's the infinite joy, C.S. Lewis has this quote that I love so much and I think it speaks so much a truth into this parable and to us as well in our own kind of human condition. It says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday At sea, we are far too easily pleased, right? I love that quote at the end. We are far too easily pleased. How how easy is it? to be so pleased with the things we have in life, right? And we actually miss the greatest invitation, the greatest opportunity, the greatest treasure the world has ever and will ever see, simply because we're just too easily pleased with the status quo. We're just too easily pleased with having the car, or having the clothes, or having the girl, or, or the Instagram and Facebook accounts, and the likes and the bank account, or, or whatever it may be, right? Maybe we're just far too easily pleased with ourselves and our own our own ambitions and what we think we can accomplish in life. We're so easily pleased and it amazes me when you look that out and you play that out, that Jesus is offering us really so much more than that. See, growing up, there was this game called Bigger Better. I don't know if you guys have ever played Bigger Better before, um, but it's a really fun game. I used to go to this Christian music festival called Ichthus, rest in peace, Ichthus, we miss you. Um, it was amazing, it was so much fun. We would go and, and everybody would camp out and there would be like, Thousands of people literally like all camped out in this big campground area and there was these stages set up and all these big Christian bands would come and play. Um, you would just be sweaty and gross and not shower for a week. So it, it, was, it was a great time. It was amazing. But people would go around at Ikthus and they would play Bigger Better. The way the game works is you start with something small. Like maybe you start with a penny or a dime or, or you start with like a paper clip. Or uh, just something random, right? Just as the smallest thing you can find. And you go up to the next campsite, or you go up to one of your friends, you're like, hey man, I'll give you this paper clip for that penny. Okay, and they trade that. And your next friend, hey, I'll give you the penny for that pencil. Okay, whatever, I'll give you the pencil. And then you trade the pencil for a piece of paper, the piece of paper for, uh, I don't know, a necklace, a necklace, right? And it keeps on going. And the whole point of the game is to see how can you trade up bigger, better, bigger, better, bigger, better. There's an amazing book. Uh, from a guy named Bob Goff, Uh, it's called Love Does, and he, he has a chapter in his book called Bigger Better where he talks about this theme, And he's telling a story about his son who decided to play Bigger Better one day. And he literally kept trading up and up and up and up. I want to say he started with a dime or something like that. He literally traded up to a used truck, okay? A used truck. That's insane. He just kept going around the neighborhood and Bigger Better, Bigger Better, Bigger Better, Bigger Better. Eventually finds this used truck and they donate it to a church. So a family in need was able to get the truck. It's this hilariously amazing story. The the greatest game of Bigger Better I've ever heard of for sure. But what if following Jesus looks a little bit more like a game of bigger, better than we wanna give it credit for, right? Like, I think this story of the hidden treasure is really this, this cosmic spiritual game of bigger, better that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. He's trying to say, hey, are you willing to give up your dime's worth of life for infinite eternal joy, right? And we think our dime is worth so much because like that's all we're focused on. It's all we're paying attention to. But when you really think about it and you compare that dime's worth of life with the infinite joy of the kingdom of heaven, you instantly want to flip that thing and say, hey, I'm ready to play bigger, better with Jesus to trade that in on what he has to give you. Do we have to ask ourselves simply, are we willing to trade up to Jesus? Are you willing to give up to some of those things that we so often want to cling to to actually be able to be given something that is so much more significant. See, the reality, friends, is that the kingdom of heaven is so much bigger and better than the kingdom of this world. The question is just simply, are you willing to play? Are you willing to trade that up, right? Because whether we wanna admit it or not, the things we have in life, they're just not gonna last forever, right? They're just not gonna last forever. It just doesn't work that way. And so when you begin to look at those two things, it's very obvious which one is the hidden treasure in the field, and which one's just the old dime that really isn't worth all that much. I want to read this poem. It's actually from my dad. So my dad wrote Christian poetry for years, which is hysterical because he's a big manly man with a handlebar mustache. Um, but I think this poem makes such a, a, a great illustration of this parable and all the parables in, in general. If you study the parables a little more, you'll see this theme of, you know, those who have ears, let them hear right? Because Jesus is drawing us in. He's trying to tell us these stories. And like many of you are watching or listening to it today, right now, Jesus is throwing out that fishing line and he's trying to, trying to hook you in. He's trying to draw you deeper. He's trying to make you think a little more. Maybe I really just just do have a dime's worth of life. And maybe Jesus really does have infinite joy he wants to give me. And maybe I should tray those out. I want to read this. The beautiful souls have ears to hear us and eyes to see. For every springtime they bloom into who they will be. Even In their imperfection, they have perfect desire. Seeking Christ's perfection, one day they will acquire. The beautiful souls have passed from death to life. Heavenly hope guides them through worldly strife. The beautiful souls will not rest at salvation's story. They seek the spiritual heights of our Savior's glory. He is unto the beautiful souls. He is all they need. Their chasm are unbroken by truth and they are freed. We are so privileged in a meaningful life we obtain. The beautiful souls have a passion you cannot restrain. The wicked darkness envelops and crushes the soul. The beautiful souls follow Christ no matter the cost. The beautiful souls have ears to hear and eyes to see. Forever springtime, they bloom into who they will be. Eyes to hear, ears to see. Forever springtime, they bloom into who they will be. The reality is, is Jesus has something and someone for you to be. And I promise you it's worth so much more than the dime we're holding on to right now. And see, what's so amazing about this parable is in the same way, we have to have that moment where we realize the hidden treasure is worth so much more than what we have. Jesus himself leaves the safety and security of heaven to come to earth, to sacrifice himself, himself, to give his life up, to pay for the sins of the world. So he could restore creation back to its creator. So me and you and all of us in this world could have a relationship with him. We are essentially his hidden treasure in the field that he gave up something so he could come down to us to bring us into relationship with him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two and Philippians chapter two, verses six through eight are two amazing verses that illustrate this. The Philippians verse says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, right? Selling what he had. Hebrews 12, 1 and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's turn because of the joy awaiting him. In his excitement, he left the security of heaven to come rescue me and you and all the rest of us here so that we could have a relationship with him. And if you're watching this morning, if you're listening, you're driving in your car, and this is that moment where you said, hey, I'm, I'm ready to play a little bigger, better with Jesus. I'm ready to toss away my dime's worth of life to have the infinite joy of a relationship with him. The Bible teaches us that if you confess Uh, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved and you can come to experience the infinite joy that's found in him. So if that's you this this morning and and you're feeling like that's what you want to do, God's calling you to do right now, I just want you to pray with me right now as we finish up and the infinite joy of Jesus is waiting for you. So pray with me right now. Uh, Jesus, I thank you so much for the fact that you came from heaven to earth that you gave up the security of heaven to come and, and live the life that I could never live on my own, that, that you died for me, that you sacrificed yourself for my sin so that we could live in relationship together and I could live in relationship with you every day. Right now, I wanna play, I wanna play bigger, better. I wanna give my, my dime's, worth, dime's worth of life to you. I wanna give my life over to you and live for you every day of my life. I wanna experience the infinite joy you have I want you to be the Lord of my life, to lead my thoughts, my actions, my decisions, and everything about my life to come. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time.